also as we walk along the path one of the most fundamental discernments that we're asked to make is whether at any given moment we're moving toward or away from suffering that's kind of the basis of wise view basis of wise action and it sounds pretty simple like who would want to go toward suffering and so we can carry this idea that we would just intuitively know what it is that leads away from suffering or toward peace for that matter But the Buddha more often talked about letting go of harmful states. He talked about freedom in terms of absence. So I'll talk more about leading away from suffering. We eliminate that which is suffering or the cause of it, then we'll be left with whatever is there when that isn't there. And I kind of like that it's not characterized as you will be this it will be like this instead it just says it's something without any greed hatred or delusion then you get to be whatever that is (laughs) and it might be different for different ones so I started to reflect more on what this lead away from suffering means as if we just knew, I think we would have done it already. <laughs> and so it might be worth considering this a little bit more. We may have some assumptions around what it means to lead away from suffering. Like, for example, a very common assumption about this is that it means getting rid of what is unpleasant. I mean, that's pretty natural, right, to think that. I think that moving away from suffering means that it will be less unpleasant. And it's true enough that um, a fair amount of this work is about relieving pain, mental mostly or, or even physical. So I'm not saying that these are incompatible. But what about, what about various kinds of pain that can't actually be changed? like the pain of a disease or the situation that we experience through aging. These don't stop happening. And so it's a little narrow to think that it always has to lead away from the unpleasant. I lived with chronic pain for a number of years and I generated a lot of dukkha for myself believing that Uh, I had to get rid of it in order to be happy or to be free. It was quite a revelation early in my practice that suffering could end when pain didn't end. Yeah, that's important. Or what about the fact that some of the things we do on the path Um, bring some kind of temporary unease or 
unpleasantness to us. Like, for example, um, if we've made a mistake or we've hurt somebody or just just lost mindfulness, uh, we may reflect on that. We may need to think about that and feel the genuine remorse of that. And if it makes sense, um, maybe apologize. And then do whatever it needs need to do to uh, change in the future so that we won't do that again or as often. And this is not necessarily a pleasant process to go through that, but surely it leads away from suffering to take that responsibility and to change our behavior in the long run, much less suffering. So we have to go beyond thinking that reduction of suffering just means eliminating everything that's unpleasant. And then a little bit a little bit related is another assumption we may carry about what it means to lead away from suffering is that unconsciously or consciously we may think that it's related to trying to get a certain result that we want. Like we pre-decide that in a given situation, this is what has to happen. This is what non-suffering will look like in this situation. And then we judge all efforts to lead away from suffering by whether or not they are producing our uh, predetermined result. So I'm thinking now in terms of daily life situations where we have challenges going on in our life or in our action in the world, in our political or social action, we decide this is the required outcome. This is how people will no longer suffer from this. And it's not that this, again, it's not that this is unnatural or that we shouldn't think about how to, how a situation could look better, but it's limiting. It's limiting to decide that we know what the solution is in advance and then force our way down that path. There may be something different that's also non-suffering. I'll give kind of a benign example of this one. I'm thinking of a situation where there was a... um, the neighborhood kids were leaving a gate open. It was one of those big, wide gates. Take some time to open it and close it. And, you know, kids don't have time for that when they're running through the neighborhood. So they would go through it and open it and just leave it open. And then the, the man who owned this gate didn't like this because then the dog would get out and other things. And so his approach, though, was to make it an issue of taking responsibility, you know. And this didn't really go over very well with the kids. That made them less likely to comply when they were told that they needed to be more responsible about the gate. So this was kind of a conflict situation of not working out between what different people were willing to do. And then an idea occurred to the man, which was to attach to the gate on one side a plastic ladder and on the other side a plastic slide and they were attached to the top and didn't go quite to the ground so the gate could still swing but it was a great solution for the kids to 
they love to climb up the ladder and slide down the slide. So problem solved. But um, it wasn't maybe what people thought initially. You know, so more seriously, we carry ideas for how a certain political situation can be resolved. But maybe it's not actually feasible, just like with the kids and closing the gate. So maybe there's going to have to be something more creative. And I'm not saying that uh, it'll be as simple and fun as the slide. But we may also need equanimity. Remember, it's not about getting rid of all the unpleasant things. But I'm just encouraging not limiting the possibilities for how things can lead away from suffering. So then what are some better indicators that we're actually going away from suffering? The Buddha actually gives a clear but general answer. I'll read it even though the language may sound unusual. But it's pretty simple when you get down to it. There are things such that when a person attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire arises, and the arisen taint of sensual desire increases. The unarisen taint of being arises, and the arisen taint of being increases. That means trying to become something, trying to make a certain personality of yourself. And the unarisen taint of ignorance arises, and the arisen taint of ignorance increases. These are the things that are unfit for attention. (laughs) And then on the flip side, there are things such that when a person attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire does not arise, and the arisen taint of sensual desire is abandoned, and so forth. These are the things fit for attention. So basically, it says, what you're doing with your mind in a given moment makes a difference. And if what we're doing is tending to increase problems in the mind, uh, things that are going to harm us, like uh, grasping or hating or uh, deluded views about things, then don't do those things. Don't pay attention to those things. And if what you're doing is generating non-delusion, generosity, love, compassion, then keep doing those things with your mind. So that's pretty simple. Um, it does require mindfulness to notice what's happening in your mind. What's, and, you know, we can slip into this. This is not, it sounds so uh, complex with the, the notions of the taints and the desire for being and all this. But how about just, you know, when you're driving down the street and you this random thought goes through your head about something, and pretty soon you're spinning a story about how that shouldn't be, this person shouldn't be like that, uh, how can I change the way I interact with this person, blah, 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 blah. And all the time, uh, the mind is spinning out into something that's not very helpful. What if you had spent that time instead um, being present, first of all, and not just in your head? Or... Um, sending loving-kindness to the people around you, or um, asking yourself some kind of a wisdom question, like, oh, do I notice the change in this moment, or who's aware of all this? Those are much better ways to use the mind than to spin off on a story about something 
So that's a very general example, is just don't use your mind in a poor way. But I thought it might be helpful to even give some more specific things. So these are specifics that lead away from suffering. We'll notice that we are more connected with the present moment and less involved with the past and the future. That's a clear indicator. So when the mind is in some different time frame, uh, that's a, it's not necessarily wrong. We do need to remember things. We do need to imagine things and plan things. But it's just like a warning sign. If the mind is spending a lot of time in the past and the future, um, more potential for spinning off into these other things. So staying more in the present. There's a nice verse about this. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build her hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let her see each presently arisen state. Let her know that and be sure of it. So this makes for a simpler presence. It's kind of an indicator that I use. It's like, how simple is my mind right now? Or is it building complex thought constructions and worldviews about things? Just coming back to the simplicity even of the body or feeling of energy moving uh, tends to quote-unquote, starve the mind state that would take us off into suffering. Another indicator of moving away from suffering is that we feel more wholeness, more integration between head and heart and body and mind. So we, you know, depending on the proclivity of our mind, we may tend to fall into an imbalance in those, Some people fall into intellectualizing, thinking. Some people fall into emotions. Maybe they think they're more spiritual that way, but in the end, awareness is bigger than both thoughts or emotions. And so we need to watch if we're developing imbalances around those things. One of the key ways to do this is really to stay with the body. The body is a good container for thoughts and for emotions. As an example, uh, I volunteer as a chaplain in the hospital, hospital in San Jose, actually. And one time I was, um, I'd gone into a room and I was asking a woman about what was going on. And she was the um, partner of the patient. The man was the patient. And the situation was just completely tragic. I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but, you know, basically he was there because he was being treated for something simple, but there had been some kind of a mistake made, and so he had this huge reaction, and then it got worse, and he had to be in the hospital for a long time. And meanwhile, you know, they weren't that secure financially, and so when he wasn't working, uh, they didn't have enough income, and they were getting evicted. And they had a teenage daughter who was just graduating from high school, but they couldn't really attend to that, and they couldn't, um, the mother was sad that she couldn't even buy her a gift for that. I mean, the whole situation was just, you know, making me very sad to listen to it. 
and yet, you know, but I had asked for that, and that's my, that was my role, was to hold that and bear witness to that. So I found myself, you know, it's like, how can I be with this without falling into suffering, which doesn't support the other person, if I'm, if I'm taking on her suffering. So I had to find a way to work with that, and what, what worked for me was to uh, open, kind of share what I was feeling with the earth, <laughs> just open my awareness down out through my feet, and the earth was happy to have all of that, um, and that was a way that I could stay there and be able to uh, be with that situation, which was probably the best support I could have given to her also. There was nothing I could do to change any of that, but I could be there. And so that's, um, you know, that's a way to tap into compassion, is to be able to open beyond the thoughts and emotions that are arising. And it definitely leads away from suffering, as opposed to getting caught in the situation that's coming in, into us, which we don't always have control over. So then another, another indication of leading away from suffering is to have more bodily ease, right? So once we're connected to the body, then it becomes possible to consciously relax. I had a period right near the beginning of my practice where when I arrived in practice, I was rigid <laughs> with um, bracing against the world, basically. And I spent a couple of years, I mean, I was doing other practices also, but part of my practice was to check all the surfaces that I was touching, because you're always touching some surface, and check whether or not there was, I was resisting it um, in some way. And I found that like almost every, everything I was touching, there was some resistance, like, you know, my butt against the seat, or when I'm eating, my arms against the table, I'd be bracing. It was amazing, amazing to see that. So... You know, over time we can check if we're open in our heart and belly, if we're soft against the surfaces that we're touching, you know, still remaining upright, um, but uh, being soft. Joan Halifax talks about entering into situations, particularly situations of suffering, with, um, she calls it, strong back, soft front. And I think that's actually the position of the most ease for the body, is that the... The core of the body is straight, is noble, is upright, uprightness, um, but the, there's receptivity and there's softness in the way we are, and we can cultivate that feeling in the body, and then it supports having that going on in the mind also. It's very much resonance between them. And then as we get into the more advanced practices, there's the practice of seeing the story that we have in a certain situation and being willing to modify or drop that as needed. This is from the Discourses. See the world, conceiving not self to be self, entrenched in name and form. They conceive that this is true. In whatever terms they conceive it, it turns into something other than that. This is sometimes said summarized more succinctly in the phrase, you may have heard it, however we conceive it is ever different than that. Do you ever feel like this, right? When you have an idea about something, it's not like that, right? Or in more modern language, this is from the Dalai Lama. 
the way in which things and events unfold does not always coincide with our expectations. Indeed, this fact of life, that there is often a gap between the way in which we perceive phenomena and the reality of a given situation, is the source of much unhappiness. This is especially true when we make judgments on the basis of partial understanding, which turns out not to be fully justified. So leading away from suffering can mean expanding our perspective and having the sense of, I don't really know. I don't know everything here. Very helpful. And then finally, although probably not the last possibility, but finally for now, I'll say that Awareness itself can be quite useful. So we can move away from suffering by switching into into awareness, essentially. This is quite important, actually. It's, It's possible, with all the other ones I talked about, to end up being kind of partially suppressing certain states of mind. You know, I started at the beginning with saying the fundamental discernment is that we need to know what's leading away and toward suffering. And so then we start, and then I said the stuff about the mind states, our wholesome mind states increasing and our unwholesome mind states decreasing. And so then we can get into a mode where we decide, oh, you know, I feel anger. Oh, that's not good. That's one of the unwholesome ones. I'm going to cultivate loving kindness instead. Quick, apply a Band-Aid. And we sort of inadvertently decide that that anger is unacceptable and push it aside. Now that's not what's that's not, not what's recommended. You know, we're not supposed to express, but we're also not supposed to suppress, but there's a subtle tendency to do that when we're applying our judging mind. And I think it's important at the beginning or when mindfulness isn't very strong to actually do that, not suppress, but to to make a clear understanding, oh, this is fear, this is anger. Let me turn away from those. Let me cultivate or encourage something else. That's a good thing to do because awareness may not be strong enough to handle the strength of that emotion that's coming. And when the emotion gets stronger than our awareness, then we act on it. And that's, that can cause problems. Um, so it's good to redirect and to bring in other things and to apply antidotes, as it's called. But eventually, when awareness becomes stronger, there's a way to practice in which it's extra to judge whether something is wholesome or unwholesome. It doesn't matter, because in awareness, we're going to be able to hold it. And so we just let it be. We accept and acknowledge everything as it comes and goes. This is the key, though, is that we have to hold them in awareness. The awareness has to be strong enough. And then they're purified by the action of that strong intention. The field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. The deep source, transparent down to the bottom, can radiantly shine and can respond unencumbered to each speck of dust without becoming its partner. That's from... Master Hong Zi. So each speck of dust, you know, all the stuff that arises, it doesn't have to go away. But we see it and respond as needed. 
without becoming its partner, without taking it on as us. Oh, this anger, it's mine. I am the anger. I'm an angry person. Not necessary. Or the love, you know, the generosity. I'm a very generous person. (laughs) This is um, not needed also. So just allowing the the shining of the sun, of the mind, to do that work. There's another sutta um, that says, Luminous is of the mind, and it is defiled by visiting defilements. Sorry about the word defilement. Luminous is the mind, and it is freed from visiting defilements. So I like this because, you know, it says that the mind itself is quite luminous, like this sun that was referred to by Master Hongzhi, the radiantly shining field. And then stuff comes. And if it's, you know, if it obscures the sun, then it's, you know, momentarily blocked. Like the eclipse earlier this week. (laughs) But, um, But it's not really blocked, right? Because I don't think the sun noticed that we had an eclipse I don't think it noticed at all. Two specks of dust passing in front of each other far away. The eclipse was here on Earth. (laughs) So we have the Earth and we have the Sun, right? So helps to have the right perspective. Now I guess if I say that, you'll start thinking, well, then only the Sun is good and the Earth is not the right way. And that's not true either, actually. We can get caught up in ideas of transcendence. I don't know, at least for me, sometimes it's the sun and sometimes it's the earth. And the point is to have peace. Peace with whatever's happening, whatever state the mind-body system is in. So this poem is called Peace. And there, on the to-do list, somewhere beneath post office and above pay the bills, is a single word not yet crossed out, peace. You've written it in ink as if to offer it permanence, an urgency that can't be erased. Every day you look at it, wondering if this is the day that goodwill will come as easily as changing the burned out light bulbs or taking the garbage out. You almost stop believing you will ever cross it off, After a while, it might seem just like any other thing you write on your list and then ignore, like dust beneath the piano or organize the garage. But then the news will shake you and render your duties small. And you'll write it in at the top of the list in all caps underlined in blue. And though you still don't know what to do, you know that it comes first and that tomorrow, no matter how long the list, You'll write it at the top again. So the luminous mind that is slowly moving away from suffering moment by moment and over the long haul, even though there's some ups and downs along the way,
So those are my thoughts on, on away from suffering, toward peace. Do you have any questions or comments? Thoughts? I like that comment. <clears throat> you said that. You ask yourself sometimes, how, how busy is my mind right now? Mm. Good to build in reminders or something that kind of checks you in. Yeah, I mean, just the general activity level of the mind is so interesting to observe. Simplicity is helpful. I have recently um, in some really powerful, um, did a very powerful seminar recently and received many blessings before that. I noticed that I was not owning my mind, that I was separating myself from my mind. very rambunctious child in the corner with me turning the volume down as much as I can but it was still there and uh, so for me part of the process is to, to own own what's there mm-hmm. to be responsible with it uh, recent word I think I had at random has been uh, endurance Hmm. Yeah. Patience is another word for that, and it's a huge part of the path, actually. Patient endurance. Um, Do you include your body in your practice? Yeah. That will tend to bring a lot a lot of things, but the emotions of anger and fear are common with reentry like that. And um, it's helpful just to discharge them slowly. Yeah, and the grief, um, that's actually a good one because it touches into the compassion that um, that was a factor in your letting go of that job. You care about something. Yeah, keeping connection with that.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.